Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I am back. It's Memorial Day 2020. The summer is officially on us and uh, it's looking strange from my end. In so many ways, I mean, my gosh, can you talk about change on all levels here? Um, as you know, the ongoing finish line for Skirt Sports is approaching. We have launched our finish line sale on May 1st. It's doing great. I am so happy that you all, A, want to get the last stuff you can get from Skirt Sports, um, no judgment on hoarding when it comes to skirt products. Believe me, people are buying like six, seven, eight bras at once. You know, when you find your winner, you make sure you grab as many as you can. Um, and at the same time, I am having multiple discussions with multiple parties about the possibility of buying skirt sports or becoming the new owner of skirt sports. And I can tell you, I really, it's it's hard because, you know, I'm an athlete, so I want to set goals, but I also want to have expectations that will leave me feeling good in the future. And so I decided that, you know, my goal with a finish line sale is to, if this is what happens, to close down the my apparel company gracefully and do it in the best way that I possibly can, feeling good about myself and and um, and moving forward, right? So when it comes to finding a party that might have interest in carrying on the Skirt Sports product legacy, I decided that I would set my expectations low because I can't control that part of the process. I I can't force another party to decide to make a decision. All I can do is continue to share and um, convey the business and the possibilities in the most realistic and, and awesome way possible. So what's happening is that I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> when you set your expectations low, um, you're bound to... Uh, you know, to possibly surpass them. So I'm, I'm really kind of excited actually about some of the prospects. So while yes, we've got to move forward to close things down and clear the slate, um, there could potentially be an opportunity that crops up, which means that in 2021, skirt sports might live again, but I don't know. So how's that for vague? and kind of interesting and somewhat optimistic and kind of depressing, but not, I don't know what it is, but it's reality. I mean, you don't start a business. 15 years ago, I did not start skirt sports with the idea that, you know, let's just start this business, but let's know what the plan will be when we actually shut it down. You don't start something thinking about the close down plan. You don't get married thinking about what a divorce would look like. Like, that's just not how we do things 
I mean, most of us, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, um, so that's where I am. I mean, I'm just in it every day. I'm still spending quite a bit of time at the warehouse. My incredible team has been fully engaged um, at the end here. We will be down to the last couple of us within two weeks. And, you know, you can't help the feelings that you have during times of change. I mean, this is just how it's going. So thank you all for taking this ride with me, for supporting me, for heading over to Skirt Sports. Oh my gosh, we have some price drops that are starting now because we've been doing the sale for about a month and we've got a couple of styles that are insane styles, like really great sellers, but we had a lot of inventory because we had loaded up on them. And uh, so if you like the jet skirt, or the Lotta Breeze skirt, get over there and buy them. We got to move them. Um, and the prices are just, they're insane. So here's here's where the other place I am. I need as much positivity as I can. I was told about today's guest by one of my former guests. I swear I mention her in every episode. Jillian Lackritz from Yoey Baby. Get over and listen to her episode if you haven't. My gosh. Um, she's incredible. She seems to know everybody, but she's got these friends from, gosh, I don't know, college time. Maybe she met them in her twenties. They happen to be identical twins. Their names are Heidi and Gretchen Bruner, and they have what we all need right now. They have a feel good story. They stumbled into an opportunity that against all odds is becoming a thing. It's becoming real and it is going to change the course of their lives. And the the background on them is that many, many, many years ago, there was a business in California called Bruner's Furniture. Some of you listening, if you live in the Bay Area or Sacramento area, you, you may even know of Bruner's Furniture. Um, Bruner's Furniture started in the gold mining era. And that her great, their great, great grandfather or whatever ran the business for many years and it was dissolved, uh, decades ago because of a family feud. We're going to hear more about that today. (laughs) Well, these two women entrepreneurs were doing different things in their lives. They hadn't, you know, the Bruner's furniture legacy was just sort of part of their family's history. It had nothing to do with them, but, um, as chance would have it, uh, steps that they were taking to mitigate the pain of a different business falling apart in the time of coronavirus led them into their, their workshop. And in that workshop, magic happened. And as you will hear today, the Bruner's Furniture legacy is, it's re, it's, it's happening again. It's re-emerging um, in today's world in a different way um, and in a very, I would say, uplifting and exciting fashion. One really fun thing is that they sent me a baseball cap, you know, just a, a cool hat with this iconic Bruner's Furniture logo. And <laughs> they're super fun and scrappy entrepreneurs. It came, there's a cereal box on my front door. Looking at it right now, honey bunches of oats. You guys, that's a real sugar cereal, you know. By the way, we have honey bunches of oats at home too. <laughs> 
and there's a, a postage label on it. And inside it says, thank you for your hat order. In an attempt to be kinder to the earth, Brunner's Furniture uses recycled boxes for their shipments. Turns out cereal boxes make excellent shipping boxes. Enjoy. So I will post a photo wearing this hat because I have a feeling you're going to want to get a little piece of what they're doing, whether it's some lovely amazing iconic furniture that you'll have for many years or simply a hat that spreads the message of hope and positivity. All right, everybody, you ready for a feel-good story? Oh, by the way, there's no way you're going to tell Gretchen and Heidi apart. We try at the beginning and then we just give up. So who cares? Doesn't matter. They're both amazing women. Um, Their message comes through loud and clear. Let's bring these two dynamic twins on the show. Uh, Look at my picture. I'm running in a bra. You look awesome. Do you want us to put on bras? No, because we don't look like that in a bra. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I that's like a really old photo from an old photo shoot we did like a year after I had my baby. And then I've never looked that good again since. <laughs> it was like the breastfeeding was like, you know, at its peak of like fat burning and then bam. Well, I don't um, think I ever looked that good, period. <laughs> <laughs> so you both have kids, right? I have three and I have one. Okay, but so that was Gretchen saying I have three and Heidi having one. Yeah. Okay, this is going to get really fun because nobody listening realizes there's two people on the other side because not only do you look alike, you sound alike. So who said who said I have one and who said I have three? Heidi has one and Gretchen has three. But but I this is Gretchen. I said it first, and now that was just Heidi saying. (laughs) Gosh, this is so awesome. You know, I'm so excited to talk to you both today because we need a feel-good story right now. And you two are living a feel-good story, whether you know it or not. It feels like that every day. Like, you truly are onto something amazing and opportunities can come out of the craziest times. So this is going to be fun. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So I came across you. Actually, I didn't come across you. My friend Jillian Lackritz, who has been on the podcast, I mention her all the time. She's an amazing connector. She One day she just goes, Nicole, you have to hear the story about my friends, the Bruners. And she told me your whole story, which we're going to get into today. We have to give Jillian a little props here. She's just such a brilliant, amazing woman. Don't you agree? Absolutely. We love Jillian. Jillian is the salt of the earth and a, and a rock and one of the dearest people on the planet. And this is this is Gretchen, but Jillian was at the birth of my first child in Colorado where we, Jackson was born in Denver. And Jillian was the one who came to see me in the hospital. And I swear she walked in. She goes, you look like a goddess. I'm like, oh my God, who are you? But I'll take it. <laughs> Wait, were you like literally in labor? And she was like, you look she, like a goddess. With, you know, it was the, I was I had just had the baby. And then they, they put you in that hospital. They sunk me in a really nice bathtub to kind of just clean up and everything. And she came in and she said, that's when she saw me like immersed in, you know, in the water. She goes, you look like a goddess. <laughs> I'll never forget that and I will take it to the grave and God bless her for saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, we need to go a little further back. Like how, where did you guys grow up? 
we grew up in the Bay Area in um, the East Bay of California. Okay, and then you both ended up in Colorado or just Gretchen? No, just, just yeah, just Gretchen. Just me. No, so, that's not right. We were both in Vail for a oh, little yeah. while. We, we, yeah, I forgot. Back in our 20s, we lived in Vail together. That's where, and, and Jillian would come and ski with us. And Jillian was my roommate. And Jillian was Heidi's roommate. So, but then my husband, this is Gretchen again, um, we moved to Colorado right after we got married. And then our, our first child, um, my, our son was born in Denver. And then we moved to San Diego for 15 years. And then we moved to Reno. So, but our dad and our mom, my dad went to Boulder and their first year of marriage, they lived in Boulder while he finished his fifth year of school. And my, our mom taught school in Arvada, Colorado is what she likes to say. So we have roots in Colorado. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is already an exciting ride. <laughs> Just say. So um, are you the only children in your family? We are number four and five. Heidi is the fifth. Gretchen is the fourth. And then we have an older sister and two older brothers. So we are one. We are two of five. So was this a, a case of the accidental twins after three children? <laughs> no, I think it's a case of bad math. <laughs> so <laughs> mom said she wanted six kids and dad said that he wanted two. So they thought they were compromising and having four, but they didn't. Um, they had the bonus baby, which was me. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So your mom won because you got closest to six. Yep. And mom was so cute. She used to always say, I never felt more proud than to have all my baby ducks, you know, walking behind me. And she just, she really loved being a mom to five kids and, mm -hmm. and God bless her because we were busy. And dad's philosophy with a big family came from his father, which was, it's important to quote, run a really good show. And so dad had us, you know, mini biking and in go work karting and in the workshop and in the workshop and just we were we were a busy, active family outside. Um, and and his goal was to just keep us all out of trouble, so he just kept us busy. Oh my gosh! Okay, so now I have this vision of like these baby ducks that mom, you know, are kind of like following mom's lead, probably through love and respect. And then we've got dad kind of like herding them into a place behind. It's important to run a good show. I mean, what if you had to summarize, you know, your values that your parents um, really planted within you growing up? How would you phrase that? Um, for sure, this is Heidi, for sure from uh, our dad, which also came from his dad, which was you, you had to be nice to everyone. So our grandfather worked in the Bruner's Furniture Store, which we'll circle back to that in a second. Dad never worked in the store, but we definitely were taught that you are nice to everybody. The people in the warehouse are just as important as the executives. So dad was was a true leader in teaching us you are kind to everybody and you in are customer nice service and, you know, and good customer service and ju you're just nice that's that's it wow okay i love this philosophy i mean i i believe in i i actually i really like your dad is he still with us he passed away just over two years ago, but we, the mom and dad lived in the Bay Area, and four years ago, we moved him to Reno to be closer to us when dad's health was starting to decline, and, and he passed away just two and a half years ago. Oh, that's so hard, especially when he's a figure who, you know, really uh, helped shape you. He, it is, and my husband has said in the, in the Bruner's Furniture part, he, he, he has said more than once, I just so wish your dad was here 
to see what you are doing and with Gretchen and Bruner's furniture. And I said, oh, he is. And Grandpa is right there with him. And it's the best. <laughs> One of the most extraordinary parts of this business of Bruner's furniture is the tools that we are using, that Derek is Heidi's husband, and that we're using to cut and to route and are from our grandfather's workshop that went to our dad's workshop that were handed down now to Heidi and Derek's workshop. So the legacy and the actual real connection, the physical connection to our, our family, you know, goes back deeply. And it, that's, I think, um, it almost gives you goosebumps in the workshop to think of grandfather's hands, you know, working with these tools with our dad's hands, working with these tools. You know, I, I, that is incredibly special and it, it also kind of makes me feel like he, your dad, your grandfather can still be this guiding force. It's, it's kind of this, um, I don't know, this sort of benchmark where you can just say, what would they do? But right. you don't actually have to have them there like arguing your decisions, <laughs> but you can use them, you know, just, just for their vision. And talk about great resources when you're growing up and you have a science project. It's pretty much the straight up answer was like, I don't know, let's go make it in the workshop, you know. So mm -hmm. everything kind of went back to the workshop and grandfather used to make uh, tennis courts for our Barbie dolls in the <laughs> workshop. And dad made us, you know, these little jewelry boxes and stuff. So um, it was just a way to create and um and make a lot of sawdust that my mom <laughs> got tired of the sawdust. <laughs> so did you literally have a workshop room in your house? It was in the garage. Uh, this is Heidi again. Um, you know, grandfather, we have distinct memories of being you know, six, seven, eight years old and being in our grandfather's workshop where he would be making you know, the tennis courts for the Barbie dolls or the dollhouse. And or the I have trains, you know, for our cousins. And yeah. And I have such clear memories of watching my grandfather's hands operate the drill press that I am now operating. And the same thing with dad, he had a workshop space in the garage and the bench and he would just lift us up and put us seated on the workshop bench and say, okay, well, let's see, what are we going to do about this? Yeah. And and, and like Boy Scout Derby days, you know, with our brothers and making those little race cars and everything. That That's all part of, part of our, our childhood. Wow. I'm just like, in my mind, I, 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 the words creating and problem solving just kind totally. of came to the forefront. I mean, a lot of kids don't learn that you can solve problems by simply like, you know, putting your hands to something. And that's a really special skill. And I think more than any time, the fact that we can actually do work with our hands because we are so digitally focused now and with this generation growing up with the phone as their their handwork, it's just a really different feeling. And we have Heidi's daughter Charlie's in the workshop. My daughter Sam has come over in the workshop to actually build a physical product is extremely gratifying. And I think that the the tools and the the skills that they're like, this the sanding and the staining, and they walk away with such a sense of pride. It's really neat to see that kind of empowerment for them. Wow. Okay. So I'm really getting a sense, a little sense for how you grew up. What um what was your relationship with each other like when you were little girls? <laughs> uh Great. Gretchen and uh, Gretchen has always been my best friend, um, except for when we were eight and she got mad at me and she <laughs> carved in the windowsill. I am mad at mom and Heidi today, March 8th, 1972. <laughs> Wait, you carved that 
in the windowsill? <laughs> so, so I think we were cleaning our rooms because you had to walk through my room to get to Heidi's room when we were kids. And I don't know. I think I was mad about a toy or something. So I etched it into the windowsill. <laughs> I am mad at mom and Heidi today with the date. And my mom, God bless her, she would just laugh at these things. She wouldn't get mad. My mom was so calm raising yeah. five kids. I really, raising three of my own, I think, how did she do that? She was always, like, happy. And I think she just got jo so much joy from being a mom. That, And then with Heidi and I as the, you know, the fourth and fifth child, she just totally went with it. And we just, we always had, it was, you're having your best friend around all the time. And so you... You think about parents now, they want a play date for their kids because it makes it easier. Well, it was just always, it was a built-in play date. Okay, this is really telling. You didn't use like a marker on the on the windowsill. You yep. etched a or something. with a tool. <laughs> yeah, it's a tool. Um, I love that you've always felt that, that just perfect connection, except for that one time. Um, <laughs> I mean, did you ever like like the same boy or get like, you know, have some issue like that with friends? Well, so that, that brings up a couple of things. Yes. One time we liked the same guy. He ended up dating Heidi. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Okay. Two is our freshman year in high school. We actually switched classes for a math, a math uh, final because Heidi was better at math. And so she switched. I went to her English and class. And I had already taken the final. So Heidi, <laughs> Heidi went and took my final. And then I went to her English class to write a paper or something. The teachers never knew. But this, the kids were like looking at us like, wait a minute. Why why are you in this class? We're like, Shh, we're switching classes. <laughs> so the, and and our, we, we've grown up with such amazing friends since, since childhood, since, you know, elementary school. Well, we have to tell her what happened on the final. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you can't just let that... <laughs> Yeah. Did you get caught? Yeah. No, I didn't get caught, but I got so nervous <laughs> that I – well, it started off with the fact that I wrote my name in pen. You had to take it in pen. I wrote my name, Heidi, in the name slot and then realized, uh-oh. And then I had to make those giant ink blot boxes that you used to do as kids to make sure no one saw anything that you had written. So at the top of Gretchen's final is just this giant blue ink blob. <laughs> Where I had crossed out my name, you know, and then at the top I wrote, "Oops, I wrote the date there." <laughs> but and then, and then I continued to to stay so nervous during the final that I ended up getting a B, <laughs> which is probably better than what I would have gotten. So it all worked out in the end. I got a B instead of a C, and I wrote a paper in her English class, so it was okay. It was okay, but yeah. Oh my gosh, I love this. So you guys were like a little bit sneaky. That's about, it, that's, that's about that it, though. That was the extent yeah. of it. That's well, a that's big deal, you know. though. That's kind of, that's like toeing the line a little bit. Oh, like, that's, that's definitely pushing yeah. new boundaries. <laughs> Mr. Farrakis, I hope you're not listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Rudnick, either. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so did you end up going to the same college? No, when it when it came time for college, we, we actually did the college tours together with our mom. Um, but it, it came down to basically flipping a coin and I enjoyed skiing. And so I flipped and got to UC Davis and Gretchen ended up at UC Berkeley. Uh, sorry, UC Santa, Santa Barbara first uh, for a year. And then she transferred to Berkeley. But mom was really good about this because as you grow up as a twin, an identical twin, your your identities, of course, kind of get 
mesh together and people are always thinking of you as a unit, Heidi Gretchen, Heidi Gretchen. Our grandfather even used to call us Heidi Gretch because at some point he couldn't tell us apart. So mom, mom sort of instilled this idea of, I think it would be really good for you girls to go to different colleges, to have your own experiences. And I will forever be grateful for that because yeah. it really did allow us to have our own experiences and be become individuals as it were and really you know have different interests and like Heidi said I went to Santa Barbara my freshman year and then transferred and graduated from Cal but um that was the that was a really good lesson from mom of, of going to different schools wow I love that so we've talked a lot about your dad um we're hitting a little bit on your mom here and the influence she had on you sounds like she was uh, incredibly supportive she was just very calm and and fun and, and easy. And, yeah, and fun and easy and funny. And she just didn't seem to let too many things bother her, especially with raising five kids. You know, our 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 brother Clay, he's two and a half years older than us. Um, we came home in elementary school. We must have been in third grade, and we came home from elementary school crying and saying, "Mom, Mom, the kids at school are saying Clay lit the school on fire," and. We didn't know this, but Clay did light the school on fire. <laughs> Wait, and yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you about that. But mom is like, hmm, probably did. And and a few minutes later, the principal called. And she says, she just picked up the phone and said, I'll be right down. <laughs> and she went down to school to go get Clay and his friend Kevin, who were in the principal's office, because they decided to throw firecrackers over the fence <laughs> into a dry, grassy hillside. And lit Okay, it wasn't the school that got on fire, but it was school property. But the the funniest thing about that is, you know, not only did Clay kind of come out as a hero because the firefighters brought Clay down to the fire station and gave him a tour and then gave him a fake badge and a hat. And I so remember him coming home like, yeah, look what I got at the fire department. <laughs> and we're like, wait a minute. You light the school property on fire and you get to come home with a fire hat and a badge? And it's just, yeah. But mom was, she was totally cool. Yeah. Like, didn't blow her, didn't blow her top. Just like, okay, I'll be right down, you know? Okay, that's hilarious. Especially like that was his punishment. I mean, uh -huh. what did we had to all the trees? So there was that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, this is so great. So, um, okay. So you, I'm, I think I've got a really awesome, you know, sense of how you grew up, your relationship with each other. How did you come back together after college or did you? Um, well, you obviously did because you're so, here now. Yeah. I mean, Heidi, and I, I'll let Heidi tell her that, but I, I graduated from college, lived in San Francisco for a number of years and then, um, got married and, and my husband, and I moved down to San Diego. So we were in San Diego for 15 years um, well, that's not true. We did one year in Colorado and then moved to San Diego. So we had both our girls born in San Diego. And then six years ago, we moved up here to Reno. But that Heidi had already come to Reno. So I'll, I'll let you. So I graduated from Davis and um, did a couple of odd things. I was uh, ski bum for a little while in Vail, like I said earlier. And Gretch came out for part of that. And I led bicycle tours for a little while, and I did some temp jobs. And then I decided I would go back to school and get my teaching credential. Our mom was a teacher, and it ran pretty thick on my, our mom's side of the family education. So I went back to school for K-8 through um, teaching certificate and taught school in the Bay Area for a number of years. Um, and, and during that time is when I met 
my husband, Derek, and we started dating. And we moved to Homewood on the west shore of Tahoe. And um, that when we made that move, I decided I wanted to pursue photography. So I became a portrait and wedding photographer and ran my own photography business for the better part of 15 years. Um, so 10 years, almost 10 years at the lake. And our, our daughter was born um, seven weeks early, uh, Charlie. Uh, and so when she was two, we moved to Reno. Derek's work by that was down here in Reno. And it just made a little bit more sense because he was commuting and this and that. So uh, moved down to Reno. Um, when Charlie was in first grade, Derek was hit by a car on a motorcycle. And he, at that point, was running his own business with a guy named Mike. And he was out of work because he had to recover from being hit by a car. And so I went back to teaching and, and left photography because that's also was the boom of digital photography where now everybody was a photographer. <laughs> um, and there was a big decline in, in my portrait business and wedding business. So I went back to, to teaching for more stability and, and taught K through eighth grade um, math and art at a, at a school here in Reno. Wow, what incredible experiences and circuitous rides for both of you here. Uh, well, one thing that just cropped up, did you both approve of each other's husbands immediately? Oh, yeah, that's such a funny question. Um, the short answer is yes. And then uh, when we decided to move to Reno, um, Heidi lived in South Reno, we lived in North Reno, and it was only three years ago, four, four. years ago that we... Actually, this is funny for your listeners. We literally live next door. We share a fence now. And that was um, by mere luck of, of our parents looking for investment you know, properties. And these two lots were available in this development. One was a three-bedroom. One was a four-bedroom. And so we became you know, tenants. So we, we, you know, our, our parents bought these and we rent from them. But the funny thing is somebody asked, well, what do you – what do you think about your, your, like, what did your husband think about living next door together? And Heidi and I looked at each other kind of with this deer in the headlight, like, oh my God, we never really asked them. Like, <laughs> wow, I guess we should check that out. But um, both men are very wise to just recognize, like, they got to just go with something. And the, this, it's, it's totally worked out. We have a pretty much open door policy. The, my dining room in my house is what we call the factory floor from Heidi's earlier business of swap teas, but now it's shipping and receiving for Bruner's Furniture. And my garage is the staining and uh, finishing finishing section of the tables and stuff. But Heidi's workshop is the cutting and the sanding. So um, they, God bless them. They just sort of go with it. <laughs> okay. What's really funny is you said you share a fence, so you kept the fence up? Well, that's part of the HOA. The HOA makes us. So you have like a hole through it. Well, it turns out it's easier to go from front door to front door. So that's what we do. (laughs) The garages are at the front. So to get to the workshops in the factory floor, we just go front door to front door. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I just love this. You know, you mentioned swap tees. Let's, let's segue into, um, the business story that kind of merged into today's business story. So Heidi, you started a really cool company for kids. I think it was for kids called Swap Tees. Why don't you share a little bit about, you know, your journey there? Uh, I did. I started Swap Tees three years ago and Swap Tees are interactive t-shirts for kids, specifically kindergarten through second grade. 
And this kind of stemmed from when I went back into the classroom for the second time and noticed the effect of what digital and technology things were having on, on kids and kids thinking they were connecting really well with their thumbs um, and kind of losing the ability for personal connection. And so I thought there has to be something I can do to bring kids together and people together because I, I need to have something positive happen. So the interactive t-shirts are three circle patches on the front of every t-shirt and they're attached with Velcro. So they might have a picture of a race car or a soccer ball or a daisy or something like that. It's like a Girl Scout patch, you know, size. So, so the kids wear their shirts or their swap tees and they swap their patches with other kids. And the whole premise behind that was to break down barriers of shyness or technology or language or socioeconomics and just to find a fun, simple, easy way to bring kids together. And so Swap Tees was born and it became a sponsor-based business so that I would have different companies and some private individuals buy the shirts for the schools and then I would go to the schools and deliver them and have swap meets. And those were days where the kids and staff would have their shirts on and start swapping patches. Oh my gosh. No, I absolutely love this. I have a second grader. So especially right now, it's been a battle to, you know, get them to want to do anything that isn't in front of a screen. And uh, we constantly kick ourselves like we should be doing more. So this is just, I mean, such a cool concept. And was it immediately embraced? It, it was. Um, of the uh, hundreds of kids that I delivered swap tees to, I never had one kid cry. And I would always come with extra patches sort of as that crutch that you lean on to make sure that every kid had a patch that they liked. But I never had to do it. And a lot of the time when we would pass out the shirts, the kids would be so excited to get the shirts. They wouldn't put the shirt on because I would make it so they could just put their shirts on over their clothing, you know, just in the multi-purpose room or the classroom or wherever I was delivering. But sometimes they would get so excited, they would just hold the shirt in their hand and walk around and peel the patches off and start swapping. And I would go, it's okay to put the shirt on. We have time. No, no, no. I have to, I have to start swapping. I got to get going. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. So were the shirts like theirs to keep? Yes. So what ended up happening is when I would patch the shirts, I would strategically put on what would be a stereotypical boy patch and a stereotypical girl patch and a stereotypical unisex patch. And that would kind of get things going when we passed it. Because you just passed out the shirts. You didn't assign a shirt to a kid specifically, you just passed out the shirts. And we went over how to swap and the kind of patches that are on the shirt and the appropriate ways to swap and social distancing. So yeah, Heidi and I would role play how to do it, but then every kid, you just passed out the shirt and then they would have, like Heidi said, those three different patches to initiate right away the swapping. And then you would you would overhear kids saying, well, I didn't know Erin liked camping because she's got a tent patch and I didn't know she liked that. So it was just, it was so tremendously wonderful with the kids and the principals and the teachers. They they were all really pleased to have swap tees come into their schools. So one thing that kind of stands out here that you mentioned is this idea of gender stereotyping. Like, I didn't even think about that. But you you kind of had to think a little bit about all the 
different activities and what kids naturally gravitate to. And then, of course, in society right now, you know, there's such a um, more of an open mind towards gender fluidity. So how did that all come about? Um, th- those are all things I thought about heavily when I was developing this because I'm, I'm not a fan of stereotypes and yet they exist for a reason. And when I, during product research and development, and I would go out and interview kids in my age bracket, kindergarten through second grade, and I started out with what would be some of the favorite patches you would like? And it's, it's pretty darn clear. The girls say some pretty girl-like things, princesses, a flower, you know, a tiara, butterflies, and the and the boys are saying stuff like, "Well, there were guns and knives, but there is no weapons on zombies." <laughs> trucks. <laughs> There's some monster trucks and some race cars. Um, but I I was very um, sensitive to sensitive it. about that. And and as far as the unisex patch, um, I I wanted to be able to make sure there was some gender fluidity there. And even though they are kindergarten through second grade. Every kid has to feel included. Every single kid has to feel included. And so by offering kind of a wide variety of patches, I sort of felt like I was able to hit that target. And everybody could, and every child then could identify and feel, like Heidi said, part of this. And that was, that's what's, you know, crucially important. Absolutely. I mean, and did you kind of use your own kids as test subjects and even yourselves and what you not, identify not so, with? Not, not too much because our kids were too, a little bit older. But like when I would, every time I delivered to a school, my job after I passed out the shirt was simply to just listen to what the kids were saying. And I walked up to this one girl and she was Caucasian with the blondest of blonde hair and fairest of skin. And she looked very gentle and soft-spoken and I said, so, and, and she wasn't smiling when I talked to her. And it's important that I give the physical description of her because of what even you expect her to be based on look. And I had a great teaching moment for me because I said, well, what's your favorite patch? And she smiled and she pointed to the pirate patch that she had on her shirt. And when she smiled, she had a fake tooth. And she said, that's because he's like me. And it was such an amazing reminder to me that I was still thinking that this very, you know, gentle, quiet girl was going to say, I just want, you know, a ballet. But she didn't. She wanted the pirate. Because the pirate had a black tooth. The pirate had a tooth missing. And she had a tooth missing. And it was the most extraordinary reminder to me. Because you don't think you're doing it and you're doing it. Wow. I mean, definitely, uh, there's a huge amount of compassion that I can just feel like coming out of you both right now. Totally. <laughs> and me too. Yeah. Delivery so- Day was one of the most extraordinary times to watch how these kids would light up and start to engage and to watch the administration or their teacher see this. And they're like, oh my God. And and we have, we did have adult asking can we get a swap tees t-shirt you know because of of what came from it the result of that so you know when did it hit you like this is actually turning into something the first time i got to deliver shirts um it, it was immediate that 
the kids absolutely loved this. And the teachers, um, I did, my first delivery was to first grade classroom. And um, the teacher was standing behind me the very first day I delivered. And I passed out the shirts and I did the, you know, how do you swap your, your patches? And a little girl who is the shyest thing ever, still holding her blanket from home, came up and said, excuse me, um, nobody swapped with me. And my heart kind of broke. And I was like, what do you mean? And so I, I pointed to her patches and I asked her, I said, are these all of the patches that you started with? And she shook her head no. And I thought, well, so did you get a new patch? And she shook her head yes. And I said, well, how did you get the new patch? And she said, well, Denise swapped with me. And without knowing it, the teacher was behind me. And as soon as the shy girl said, well, Denise swapped with me, another girl came up and said, Natalie, can I give you your, my watermelon for your basketball? And they, they trotted off together swapping patches. And I had goosebumps. And the teacher tapped me on the shoulder and she said, you don't know this, but you just accomplished what you set out to do. That was the shyest kid in my classroom. And she just got to swap with a new friend. And it was, that was it. And it also erased, it races um, disabilities. Like there's a little boy in a wheelchair and it doesn't matter. Like it race didn't matter. Socioeconomic didn't matter. And that was the, one of the most beautiful things about swap tees. It just made kids happy to swap a patch and have a shared experience. Yeah. The the kid in the wheelchair, there was a line of six kids (laughs) waiting to swap patches with him. And it was, it was magic. Wow. I have goosebumps over here because I think all beautiful things really do need to be purpose driven in order to make a big impact. And, you know, yours was on a micro scale. You were in a classroom literally with like 15 or 20 or 25 kids. Right. But the impact was huge. It's palpable. Yeah. And when I got to deliver to school, like the, the, the swap meets were meant to be multi-grade level. So when I got to deliver t-shirts to kindergarten through second grade, all of those grades would come out. So it was a, a cross grade mix of kids. So you had second graders swapping patches with kindergartners. And at one school in particular, it was over 200 kids all wearing swap tees in the courtyard, all swapping and not one tear, not, not one. And I just, it just made me so happy. So, you know, we've mentioned tears a couple times. I'm assuming why you were possibly anticipating that or thinking this could be a problem. Why? Why Why were you worried about the tears? Um, at that age level, they're pretty me-centric. Um, they haven't quite evolved into we-centric. And, um, you know, that means they get their treasure and they want to hold on to their treasure. And no one's going to take their treasure. And having been an elementary school teacher... I'd seen that and I was aware of it and the fact that I wanted to make sure every kid could feel involved because I'd seen it when it didn't work and I wanted to make sure that every kid had something that they were happy about or willing to talk about or willing to share and we would do even practice swapping. So for those kids that were a little tentative at first, because there are those kids, we just did a practice swap. And the same scientific benefits would happen, even though it was just a practice swap, which just means they took a patch, they swapped it with the other friend, and then they took the patch and they swapped it back. So it it kind of loosened them up a little bit, and then they would be off and running into the crowd. You know, 
at the end of the day, you didn't want anyone to feel excluded. And I totally get that. Watching my child, my my biggest fear is that there's somebody walking around the playground who doesn't feel included. And I think this is a swap tease was a tool to help. I don't know, battle that. I love it. Yeah. It's like a real sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And, and I used to ask my kids, do you guys, could you tell me the difference between fitting in and belonging? And right away they could articulate and, and how a sense of belonging is such a much stronger feeling. And that the the flip side of that is when we would do these role plays uh, up at the front with the kids and Heidi and I would talk about, it's okay to say no mm-hmm. so that, you know, can I swap you for your watermelon for your strawberry? And you can say no. And that for the girls, especially that became this a huge sort of undercurrent of empowerment of like the whole, I can say no and it's okay. And so that was another like, total learning lesson for Heidi and me mm-hmm. to see that and um, to witness that. And it's one little girl, the boys get so excited. Actually, both of them got so excited, but they come up and they try to take the patch off themselves. So they're actually physically touching, even though in it's role- a little too much engagement, Yeah, <laughs> even in role playing, right? No, no, you, you have to give your patch, right? So this one little boy is talking to this girl. And he's so excited. Can I please have that soccer ball? And he reaches over and he, and she, the little girl says, you have to ask. And she literally like stops him in his tracks of like, no, you have to ask. Like, she put he, up her hand. Yeah, physically. So it was just, it's re- it was remarkable. Oh my gosh, this accomplished so much more than you probably ever thought. It, it did. Um, when I was doing product research and development, I met with some child psychologists and went over my reasons of why I started the business. And I gave my little story and pitch. And then it was sort of crickets in the room. And a child psychologist looked right in my eyes and said, you don't have any idea how big this is, do you? And it was one of those moments like, am I supposed to say yes or am I supposed to say no? So I said, "Um, no, I I don't know. And she went on to explain the brain development behind this and the breaking down the barriers and the friendship and the empowerment. And it, it, you know, it, it did get bigger than I initially started, which was fabulous. So this was Heidi's business or Heidi's idea, but then Gretchen somehow was right there. So how did that happen? Yeah, Heidi, I just do what she tells me to do on Swap Tees. And, you know, it really was a two-person job as far as, like, the deliveries. You need two people to pass out their shirts. So I was incredibly grateful because the business that I had been doing, we come from a a long line of entrepreneurship in our family, starting with, you know, John Bruner, our great-grandfather. But I have had probably, I think, five different businesses. And so I was in the process of transitioning out of my own. And when Heidi started Swap Tees, and I'm like, I, I have so much more fun doing Swap Tees. Let's, I'll, I'd be happy to do whatever I can do to help support that. And, and that's when, like I said earlier, my floor, my dining room became the factory floor of her inventory. So um, I needed her. <laughs> Well, and you know, I think it's cool to see you both having sort of come together in this business venture. And so here we are, you've got Swap Tees off the ground. It's, I mean, to huge acclaim, it's working. It feels good all around. But then what happened? COVID. (laughs) Oh, the coronavirus. So in March, uh, when the pandemic was announced and very much active alive in all of our lives, um, schools closed. 
And with the school closures, I don't have access to kids for swapping. And then shelter in place and non-essential businesses closed. And now I don't have access to businesses that are my sponsors. So with no schools and no kids and no businesses, there's no swapping. So Derek and I, this is leading accidentally into how Bruner's Furniture started. But Derek and I were sitting around the dining room table and I said, I'm pretty sure Swap Tees is in a very deep coma, if not dead. And it was in less than 24 hours. And we talked briefly about it. And he said, you know what? Let's just go in the workshop and do something fun. And let's make that table we've been talking about for your mom as a surprise. And going into the workshop to make something fun is is kind of a normal thing for us. And I say, okay, let's go do that. Because it was it was hard. You know, you work hard for your business and it, and no matter how hard you're working, it didn't work anymore. And it didn't have anything to do with me necessarily. Um, so we, we went into the workshop and we started a table and maybe Gresh wants to start. Actually, can I, can I interrupt? Sure. I think there's another layer. Um, you mentioned your husband, Derek was, was he working for the company at this time? Oh, yeah, I forgot that part. Um, Derek had been running his own business for a number of years, land use planning and consulting. And in December, we had decided um, as a couple, uh, let's let's shut down Rubicon and bring you on board full time with Swap Tees because I need the help. And Swap Tees is more fun anyway. So we did. It took two months to kind of close down the business. And he had been with Swap Tees full time for two weeks before the shutdown. Yeah. So like, you're a hundred percent, a hundred percent of your family earning power was now completely just in 24 hours dissolved. You had no, no out, you know, no pos- positive outlook there. Right. It, it, it evaporated. And I, it's what's interesting when I think about it, it's only been six weeks. Yeah, six, seven weeks. Um, in the 24 hours that I lost a business, and then in the next 24 hours, accidentally starting a business, I didn't I didn't even take time to worry about where's our income coming from. To panic because about it was, something. It was such a scary thought. I'm like, oh, I, can't, I can't even figure this out. I, I, I'm just going to go make a table. <laughs> and I, it, it turned out, of course, to work out fabulously. And we're exceedingly lucky. And I never, never, ever thought I would be starting a business during COVID-19. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And it, it kind of gave the grieving process to swap tees a really short window because now I don't have time to do that. And now Derek is, <laughs> we're working together again. <laughs> okay, Greg- so what happened when you went into the workshop to make a table? So we had talked about making a Lake Tahoe coffee table and we wanted to surprise our mom who lives about 10 minutes away and just make something fun for mom. And we went into the workshop. We started laminating up the wood and getting the clamps out and it sat overnight and Gretchen came over the next day while the garage doors open and said, you know, what are you doing? And I had just started using the jigsaw to cut out the template of Lake Tahoe that we had drawn um on the table and I said well I'm cutting out a table for mom do you want to help 
And so she grabbed the other jigsaw and I said, you know, mom's going to want to know how we made this. So let's take a couple of videos and, and show her the process. Not knowing that those video clips would become sort of the marketing video that we had to put together like the next day, like three days later. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut out the table and I made kind of a goofy post on Facebook. This is what we're doing during self-isolation. We're going to create in the workshop and I took a picture of the cutout the raw the rough cut of the table and you know I'm in my mask holding the sander and the jigsaw or whatever and I said you know what are you guys doing just just nothing and the next day we had eight nine different people asking me how do I order it and I thought order order what <laughs> and like I just didn't get it and it was I, I'm not it just was the most extraordinary explosion of welcoming and excitement and, and you guys interest, and energy yeah. and and Nicole, I think it's really important to point out that Tahoe Lake Tahoe is is deep in our roots. I mean, it it is home for our for our family, our extended family, but for so many other people going to Tahoe, it it is their home too. So this connection to the table, that's why it was so fun. It's like, <gasps> we have to have one of those. And then we came up with this idea of if we could personalize the table with a with a Lake Blue Tahoe marker, which is like this sort of a stained piece of glass almost, that we can put on the table wherever somebody's home um, or is. love. Yeah, or or love. So and that that was the neatest part is this connection to Lake Tahoe. And then what happened is people people started saying to us, oh my gosh, I remember going into the Bruner store when I was a kid. My mom used to take me there and and we still have, you know, bunk beds. We had a gardener show up here the other day. He says, I want my Bruner bunk beds back, you know. So the connection between Tahoe and Bruner's furniture and the stories that we would hear from our friends, extended family and, and our wider circle of friends was so heartwarming. And we are, that's the part we are so grateful for the reception and um, how, how Bruner's Furniture's, the, the rebirth of it has been received. And the memories that people are sharing. Yeah, their stories, their personal stories. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to have to order something from Lake Tahoe because that's where I got married in 1996. No, no way! I, I got married up there too in 1994. Where did you get married? And, um, and We were in Incline Village and... It was the winter, it was December 28th of 96, and so it was this, like, biggest snowstorm they'd ever experienced, and um, we flew into Reno, we had, like, eight people that came, and they could barely get there, too, and um, we stayed at um, a big hotel, I forget what it was, and we got married in a strip mall in the second floor, there was, like, a little chapel, <laughs> and... Um, one of the really funny things is that we found out months later that we weren't actually married because <laughs> the clerk was a temp and they did like our paperwork wrong or something. Anyway, it was really amazing, like insane. Our um, our minister had what I call Elvira hair. Her hair was like a foot above her head in one of those massive like beehive do's, you know? It was yeah. insane. So yeah, that's our little story. And we've always felt this connection to Lake Tahoe, even though we haven't spent any real time there, but driving through or whatever, I mean, it's a very special place. 
It, it really is. is. And as a wedding photographer at the lake, I, I photograph weddings all around the lake. And it's now circled back that Bruner's Furniture is now partnered with the Tahoe Fund, which is a nonprofit that's helping to do environmentally positive things for the lake. And but so, based in Incline, but so based, yeah. connected to, to yeah. your story. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned um, Bruner's Furniture. So we hadn't really gotten to that yet. Uh, I think you mentioned it earlier in the interview as well, but... So there's some background. So yes. what was Bruner's Furniture? Why do these people all have these memories of Bruner's Furniture since you're the one starting what might be Bruner's Furniture? So uh, our great-great-grandfather, John Bruner, was a German immigrant who came over during the California gold rush. And very quickly, he was a cabinet maker. And very quickly, he figured out he could make more money making tools for the gold rush people, the panners, uh, right. than, than being one himself. So he created the gold cradle and John Bruner furniture was started in Sacramento, California during the gold rush in 1856. And Bruner's furniture went on to last 148 years and it went from coast to coast, uh, with over 40, almost 40 retail outlets. So our grandfather was one of five boys. And they all at some point had something to do with either being a director or a president of Bruner's Furniture. And uh, all five of those men, our grandfather's generation, ended up having some sort of connection to Lake Tahoe. And so but cabins on the West Shore that that got passed down to our dad and then to us. And so. Uh, again, circling back, the connection to Sacramento and to Lake Tahoe is pretty deep. So Bruner's Furniture ended up in San Francisco, and it was actually there was one in Reno and Las Vegas and all the way to the East Coast. And it closed in 2000. It was sold. The store was sold when Gretchen and I were little, maybe three years old. Um, and a different company bought the store, Marshall Fields. Um, but then Bruner's, the actual store, closed in 2003. But at one point, you know, Bruner's was on Union Square where the Macy's building was. In and, San Francisco. And then there was a family feud <laughs> and Bruner's brothers split. So some brother went to Southern California and the other one stayed in Northern California. And, you know, the good, good old rivalry stuff. But that's how come our peer group and and certainly our sister and brother's peer groups and parents, that's why they know Bruner's because it was in the Bay Area and that was the only store you went to to go get everything for your house. And that's why these stories are coming up of I sat on the couch while my mom picked out the, the linens or something. And we've had a pretty, pretty nice selection of people. I, I, I made another post on Facebook wearing a Bruner's furniture hat that I had made up for us like for fun. And the same thing happened with the table, which is, well, how do I get a hat? I'm like, wait, now I'm selling hats? So now we have, now we're selling hats. <laughs> well, you're selling something, you're selling what Bruner's Furniture stands for. And you're selling a feeling of nostalgia, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, and go ahead. details of that is even more history. In the California State Senate, our are desks that are Bruner's furniture is made. So you walk into the Senate in California and those are Bruner's desks. And so in every fourth grade class pretty much throughout California does this California gold rush history unit. And, you know, you make that, that pilgrimage up to 
the Sacramento coma area for, for the gold rush stories. And so when, when I actually got to do that with my own kids and in fourth grade, you know, go to Sacramento, we walked in the Senate and I tell my kids like, those desks are from Bruner's Furniture. That is your history. That is your legacy. And that, I mean, it, it still gives me chills because they're still there. Well, and then when I was teaching fourth grade in the Bay Area and the Gold Rush unit came up, I would tell my students, all right, buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be about my family now. <laughs> you know, one of the things you mentioned is we have to go back to it because this is the stuff we all want to hear. What happened in the family feud? <laughs> Uh, the, the, the legitimate details, I don't know. I think they had, a, this is again in our, uh, great grandfather generation. No, sorry. Our great grandfather generation. They had a difference of opinion of how the store should be want, um, run. So, uh, one Bruner went to San Francisco and that's the, the store that opened on union square in the Macy's building and did that. And the other brother stayed in Sacramento. So one was Bruner Furniture and the other one was the John Bruner Company. And the brother that ended up in Union Square, the San Francisco earthquake in 1906, took out the store and leveled it. And um, it wasn't until 1985, I think it was, that our dad coordinated the first Bruner family reunion since the, quote, feud and brought both sides of the family together. And it was so funny because, of course, like, what did they fight about? And like, it was, what are they it was 80 years that this feud kept the branches of the family separate. So dad, in yeah, in the mid-80s, brought, mm-hmm. the, brought the families together. And there was a ton of conversations of, why did they fight? <laughs> what was it about? What was, what was the problem? But the, the brother that lost the store in San Francisco went to the brother in, in Sacramento and said, hey, I, I lost the store in San Francisco. Can you help me? And apparently he said no. <laughs> well, that could be part of it. <laughs> yeah. So so here you are today. If we, you know, you said something earlier. In 24 hours, I lost a business. And in 24 hours, I gained a business. Mm-hmm. And it was accidental. It was just came from this lifelong, I guess, habit of let's just go to the workshop. Let's just take our minds off it. Let's use our hands. Let's do something fun. So it, what's really cool is you were really working from the heart. You were operating from the heart. You put it out there, which is amazing. And people started replying. So where are you today? People started replying instantly, and I think that also first was very surprising. Um, so fast forward to today, we now have, um, you know, Gretchen is really great at websites, so she and our, well, other, our other sister, Bryn, is the one who helps with the websites, and then I take it from there. So so in 24 hours, they had a website up, and I, we Gretchen and I sat at GoDaddy.com and thought, well, is Bruner's furniture even available? Like, what's up with this? So we looked at him like, hmm, Bruner's furniture is available. Maybe we should buy it. So we bought the URL, and in 24 hours, another 24 hours, Gretchen and Bryn had the website up. And, and a product page, and people were buying tables, and then they were buying hats, and then we made a boot rack. Heidi Dark, you know. And then just, we have a stool, and now we're making dining room tables, and now we're making custom state tables. People saw it on social media Hey, I live in Vermont and run a B and B. I want a Vermont table. Like, 
okay. And the best part is we're actually now shipping international because a friend in France saw what was happening and messaged us and said, can you make me a table and send it to France? And it's a, it's a body of water that they live near in France. So now we're making a, a France table and shipping it uh, to France. And then our cutting boards, we had to take the cutting boards off the website because we couldn't keep up with with the per, like the orders and the cutting boards are, are beautiful. They're and the shape of Lake Tahoe as yes, well. Yes, yes. So um, we're just now getting, we can put those back on the website again because uh, you know, we can take on orders, but it was again, going back to how, how well received this was for us. So to, to interrupt Gretchen for a second, not only is Lake Tahoe important, but clearly we have pretty strong ties to California. So we looked at the shape of California and like, Hmm, it doesn't really make a very good table. (laughs) Um, and so California is now a bench. So we have somebody in Oregon and Vermont and Nevada, Montana and, and, Colorado, we already have because that's our current coffee table in the shape of the square. We can do that. Um, but we you now are branching out into what we call a live edge dining room table. And, you know, again, these are things that the tools that our grandfathers had since the 30s. And now we're using every single tool we use to make the furniture is come from our grandfather or from our father. Wow. Okay. So if history repeats itself, we're looking at another family feud soon. <laughs> God, I hope not. It's not going to be between us. I can guarantee that. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want this business to become? Have you even had any time to process the future? You know, um, no, this, this is this question for me. Um, it's the first time a business has felt easy. And that doesn't mean you're not working really hard. It just doesn't mean you feel like you're pushing a a giant boulder up a hill. And I think for Bruno's Furniture, um, for me anyway, being able to to be part of a a creation, a business that just feels fun and it feels easy, that's sort of, I think, everybody's ultimate goal and dream. And of course, you know, the money will follow you. Hear that. But, um, it's just, it's just easy, and that's I and think, fun, and and, it, and it's making people feel good. Yeah, which for me, goes back to swap teas. I have to have something that makes people feel good. I have to have something that is fun, and uh, that Bruner's Furniture is doing that too. Not maybe to a classroom of first graders, but what we're creating, we're getting such nice feedback. And when we deliver the tables, oh, this is so fun. It's I like love they're it. welcoming an old family friend into yeah, their living room. They are because they start telling us their story yeah. about why, I don't know, Tahoe is important to them or I remember this. And it's just, it's just the best. I love it. Absolutely love it. And we outgrew the workshop in about two weeks. So <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do about that yet. <laughs> You know, I I can see the the progress or the the connection between swap tees, which had a goal of personal connection, mm-hmm. to this, which came from connecting to yourselves and with your family, and all of a sudden you're now having personal connection to all these other people, and you're upholding quality, which was, from what I could tell, one of the really important things about the original Bruner's Furniture. We're not talking about cheap IKEA stuff here. This is right. this yeah. is not high quality. Yeah, 
it was a pillar of, of Bruner's furniture originally was was quality was for sure. quality. So what what kind of uh, materials are you using in the furniture? Um, the cutting boards are hardwood poplar. And the other furniture, dining room tables, the coffee tables, the kitchen tables, the Lake Tahoe tables, those are all pine or fir. And because of the virus, um, we're, we're getting our wood not as readily as we would like to get it. Um, so the, the furniture is a soft wood and the cutting boards are hardwood. Uh, we do both exterior and interior finishes um, on the furniture, depending on where people want them placed. And, and going to quality, Derek, Derek is exceptional in the workshop. And he's, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that he comes with in, in terms of finishing and, and how to handle the wood properly. So one day he came over and he heard Heidi and I talking like, you know what, I think we really need to take another stand over this and we need to do this. And we were, cause we were doing like the finishing work and he just started to giggle and he's like, I love that you're talking about how <laughs> like, no, we should really do this again because of the, of the quality. And that, that is, you know, incredibly important to him too. So we're, we're, we're lucky that we can all be on the same page. Cause he's like, I think you're even taking this to a higher level than I would. <laughs> You know, I think there are people who, when bad things happen, they wallow in despair. And there are people who find an opportunity, whether it's accidental or not. But you're open to it. I mean, if you weren't open to it, you would have said, oh, thanks. That's nice. Ha ha. We're not making anything for anyone else. But you were open and you were like, I guess this is our next calling that we've been called to do this. So we will. And look what it's becoming. I just give you so much, um, so many kudos and so much support because we need to hear that good things can come out of crappy times. Well, yeah. I have, I've always been a very firm believer in something good comes from every single thing and you don't necessarily get to know that in the moment. Maybe it's years later, but I, I had a, you know, I taught school at a school and it was a really toxic environment and it sucked the life out of me. And two years later, really good things came from that experience. And so with the shutdown of businesses and schools and swap tees, it, it was an immediate knowledge for me to know like something good will come from this. I don't know what it is, but something good will. And it was Bruner's Furniture. Unreal. Well, we have, we've had an awesome conversation today and I actually just wish we could keep going with it, but, um, but Hey, I got to get back to the warehouse and continue shipping orders for skirt sports. And you guys need to clearly get out there and start carving more cutting tape. Wait, cutting tables are off carving more tables and doing cool stuff. Um, and as we, but as we wrap it up here, I am going to put both of you to the test and have you both answer the final question that I ask every guest. And that is, are you ready for this? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, <laughs> if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? It will be okay. It, it will be okay. It feels pretty yucky on the big picture right now. And I, I know that it will be okay because it has to be. And I think um, for me, you can have the life you want when you love the life that you have. And that took me a long time to, to get to that point. And that means even when it's hard, there's a way to love that, that hard part because it will be good again. Wow. 
awesome ending from both of you. What a great conversation. I wish we could have had coffee for real. Um, one day we will. Yeah, one day we will. And um, let's get working on my Tahoe piece. Will do. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's been such a fun, uh, fun conversation. Absolute pleasure. For sure. And um, don't worry, we will have a link to Bruner's Furniture in the show notes. Everybody listening is going to want to get on there and check out what they can get from you. And hey, if nothing else, you're buying a hat. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah, because I sell hats now. People are asking (laughs) for the t-shirt, so that might be on there too. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're going to have swap tees on the site with different state patches oh boy (laughs) new business idea (laughs) all right well what a great time thanks again for sharing your amazing story thank you thank you all right i'm back wow what a cool episode um you couldn't see us i actually did not record this uh interview on zoom so i won't have it up but you can see the photos that i post um with Heidi and Gretchen, and you can just feel their energy through the photos. I literally pulled up Skype. We saw each other's faces for a minute and we all just started laughing. We don't even know each other yet. And it was just, they just have that kind of infectious energy. And I just know that their new venture is going to be successful because their energy is coming out in the way they do things. You know, I do love their both of their nuggets at the end, especially the idea that you can have the life you want when you love the life you have. Oh my gosh, how powerful is that right now? And how about this? I just wrote this in quotes. It will be okay. It will be okay. That's what we need to be hearing right now. Everything is okay. Your world might be upside down. Hey, you're not the only one. doesn't make it any easier, but it will all be okay. And truly, it can be better than ever before if you're just open. So when the shit hits the fan in your world, go to your version of the workshop. Go do the thing that always helps you take your mind off it and helps you feel better because something beautiful is going to grow from where that muck (laughs) might be. All right, everybody. I know better than anyone right now about some of the muck that's happening in this world. Uh, I I think you should also go to another happy place, which is skirtsports.com and shop some cool styles. I will tell you, The styles that have a lot of sizes right now are the Jet Skirt, named after Wilder Jet DeBoom's middle name. It's short, it's cute, it's got pleats, it's got four-inch built-in shorts. It looks great on every body. The Lottabree Skirt, this was one of my super winners. We just end up stocked up on these styles, and uh, we've got all sizes, extra small to XXL, in many, many colors in in these styles, and great prices too. So head over there and uh, help me clear up my muck (laughs) because we all deserve to be able to start over and we all deserve that feel good transition or feel good ending in our lives. All right, everybody, that's it for today. Stay tuned for next week. 
you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.